got a ticket to ride. She's got a ticket to ride. She's got a ticket to ride. She don't care. Well, hello, everybody. It is June 11th, and this is the Ticket to Rider podcast. Although I think we're going to be coming out on June 12th today because uh, I have uh, an interview coming up uh, later with. Uh, my good friends Bill Dubinsky and John Tuey. More about that in a second. But uh, this is today is Sunday. I'm recording this on Sunday, and as I said, the pod will probably be out tomorrow, which is Monday. Uh, but this is on the heels of just a fantastic finish to the PGA Tour stop at the RBC Heritage Canadian uh, Open, and uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, I'm going to talk in this introductory section about the various tournaments going on around the uh, world uh, this weekend, and I will go over the Ryder Cup standings and uh, talk a little bit about the uh, bombshell announcement of the partnership between uh, Live uh, and the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, and uh, then we'll bring on uh, Bill and John, and just for uh, just for uh, uh, knowledge of, of uh, the listeners, uh, Bill uh, and John and I were partners on WHRB Radio, Harvard Radio, many moons ago. Uh, John was actually the station manager, but uh, in terms of sports, helped us with hockey, uh, as well as uh, doing uh, work with football and, and basketball. And uh, John has been in on the media side of sports broadcasting uh, working for various entities uh, uh, for his whole uh, career. Uh, Bill was my broadcast partner for Harvard Hockey. He was the color analyst as he had played hockey and I had not uh, and was a fine color analyst and uh, after graduation has business and law degrees and, and runs a division at Swiss Reinsurance, but he's an avid golfer. Uh, Typically, we'll ask Bill what his handicap is, but typically his handicap was uh, uh, high single digits or low double digits, depending on how busy he is in, uh, for work. And Bill and I actually met each other the, the first day of school, but we bonded over uh, me trying out for the Harvard tennis team and getting cut, and Bill trying out for the Harvard golf team and getting cut. Uh, Anyway, uh, we'll discuss with those guys the media aspects of uh, the PGA Tour and how that influenced these decisions with uh, Liv and the, PGA, and, and the PGA Tour. We'll also do a U.S. Open preview, and I'll get their picks. I have Stacey Ham's pick. Stacey, as he said last week, is uh, not available. He is on vacation with his family uh, on the East Coast. So Stacey will be back next week uh, for the U.S. Open. So again, uh, this first segment, uh, we're brought to you as always by Stimmergen. Uh, Stimmergen is a natural supplement which uh, takes the normal, the natural stem cells which are present but dormant in your body and releases them from uh, captivity into your bloodstream to uh, heal, uh, to uh, help with uh, healing, uh, heart healing, lung healing, and uh, of course, musculoskeletal uh, orthopedic kind of healing. So uh, Stimmergen, uh, look for it at stimmergen.com. Uh, and soon, one of these days, uh, it'll be on my website, and I'll, I'll let everybody know when that's the case. All right, uh, let's talk first about the PGA Tour event, the Canadian Open. So uh, the Canadian Open has been played for uh, a century, uh, where I think it's the third oldest uh, uh, national open and a Canadian had not won this tournament since Pat Fletcher, Fletcher uh, over a half century ago in the, in the 50s. And since then, Canadians have gotten close. Mike Weir lost in a playoff, I think it was in 1999. But uh, uh, today that all changed and in spectacular fashion. Nick Taylor... Uh, became the first Canadian in 69 years to win by holding a 72-foot eagle putt on the fourth playoff hole to win the tournament. 
uh, he got into a playoff with Tommy Fleetwood, and uh, the playoff itself was uh, rather thrilling uh, as uh, both men went, you know, hit a couple of dicey shots and had to get up and down for birdie uh, on the first hole. And this is this is the call from uh, Jim Nance. Come up well short. Left the flag stick in. Maple leaf flag. Good pace. Are you serious? Oh my goodness! Glorious and free! So, uh, Corey Connors becomes uh, the first Canadian to win since Pat Fletcher in 1954. And, but Fletcher was actually born in England. Uh, there had been a Canadian-born champion, Carl Kiefer, in 1909 and 1914. And I got the year wrong. Uh, Mike Weir lost in, a playoff, lost in a playoff to Vijay Singh in 2004. Uh, what a tournament this was. Coming into Sunday, the leader was C.T. Pan from Taiwan, the uh, bronze medalist in the last Olympics. And he had a two-shot lead over the field, which included Rory McIlroy and Tommy Fleetwood. But on Sunday, once again, Rory had a bit of a rough day. He shot 72. While Nick Taylor, who started uh, started in that group at 12 under par off of a fantastic 63 on Saturday, he actually just barely made the cut. He shot 75 on Thursday and then 67 on Friday to make the cut and 63 on Saturday, 66 on Sunday. He earned uh, $1.62 million and 500 FedEx Cup points. Tommy Fleetwood, one of the most accomplished golfers in the world, but still uh, without a victory on the PGA Tour, remains without a victory on, a PG, on the PGA Tour. Tommy Fleetwood, who has two second, place, two second places in majors, multiple top tens in majors and world golf championships, still has not won on the PGA Tour. But uh, these guys were fantastic on, on coming down the stretch. Nick Taylor, in order to get into this playoff, birdied 17 and 18, 18 being a, a par five. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood birdied 16 and 17, and then had a rough time even making par on 18. He uh, uh, 18 is a strange hole at at, uh, uh, at the Oakdale Golf and Country Club in Toronto. It's a short par five. It's a 500-yard par five, which is you know nothing for the pros, except that uh, it's the fairway uh, uh, tapers off around. I think like 260 yards. So these guys were were hitting irons or hybrids 230, 240 yards down uh, the fairway, positioning himself for a second shot where they could still reach the green, but they nobody was hitting driver. Uh, or at least only one guy hit driver. Apparently only one guy, uh, 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 Matthews, hit a driver the first two days, and he was able to uh, clear, I think, was, I think they had to, to shoot about... Uh, shoot it down about 337 yards to clear uh, the gorse and bunkers. And only one guy was able to do it all week. Anyway, on Sunday, Tommy Fleetwood needed a birdie to win the tournament. And his, uh, his layup off the tee went into the rough. His, his layup, his layup uh, on the second shot also went into the deep rough. And he was scrambled. He scrambled just to make par and get into the playoffs. But he was able to do so. The two uh, slugged back and forth the first three holes. Uh, they both uh, birdied 18, parred nine, which is a, a tough par three. And then they went back to 18. And uh, off the uh, off the tee, uh, Tommy Fleetwood hit a great shot right down the middle, and uh, Nick Taylor uh, flared one out to the right and appeared to be in some sort of divot. Uh, Fleetwood then hit a uh, mediocre shot and uh, was able to get the uh, ball in uh, after his third with about a 20-foot putt for birdie. 
uh, after hitting it uh, to the right or to the right into a bunker. Taylor, coming out of the first cut and in a divot, goes to within uh, 72, uh, 72 feet of the hole and then drains it for birdie for eagle on the fourth playoff hole to win. Now, I look to see what the President's Cup standings were on the international side as uh, Mike Weir, a Canadian captain for the next President's Cup contest, which will be held in uh, Montreal, was there and was talking about the President's Cup, but uh, the President's Cup standings aren't up yet. But needless to say, Corey Connors and Nick Taylor are both winners this year. Adam Svensson and other Canadians also have been a winner this year, and uh, there may be three or even four Canadians on the team because Adam Hadwin is always kind of in there as well. So great win for, for uh, Nick Taylor over Tommy Fleetwood. In uh, third place, uh, Aaron Rye, the Englishman, had a wonderful tournament. He tied with uh, Tyrell Hatton and C.T. Pan uh, at 16 under par, one off the pace, and that will have an influence on Ryder Cup standings. Uh, tied six, Eric Cole, the American who got his tour status after, after doing well from Monday qualifying, ties with Mark Hubbard uh, at 14 under par, Justin Rose alone in eighth, 13 under par, Andrew Novak, Roy McElroy, Brandon Wu uh, also get top tens. Not a lot of other guys with Ryder Cup uh, hopes. There was Matthew Fitzpatrick played. He was tied 20th. Uh, uh, Corey Connors, who's been on the President's Cup team, also tied 20th. Uh, Sagith Tagala, someone who is a, a hopeful for the Ryder Cup team, tied 38th. And uh, looking to see if there's anybody else, uh, another former President's Cup player, Taylor Pendrith, Canadian tied 65th. Adrian Moronk, uh, the uh, Polish golfer who before this week was in Ryder Cup position, missed the cut, uh, playing here in advance of the U.S. Open. Sam Burns, uh, who's in position for the U.S. team, also played and missed the cut. But overall, not a uh, not a uh, premium championship field. Uh, Rory was the two-time defending champion, uh, and it was Brandon Matthews was the fellow who who uh, drove over the uh, gorse uh, on the uh, 18th hole, uh, but he uh, missed the cut, shooting 74-78. Okay. So that was the PGA tournament. The DP World Tour uh, had this mixed Scandinavian tournament, which last year I, th I believe was won by by uh, one of the one of the ladies, uh, but this year was uh, won by a journeyman uh, by the name of Dale Whitnall. Uh, Dale Whitnall, uh, an Englishman. Uh, I looked Dale Whitnall up. He's British. Did not uh, does not appear to have attended uh, university in the United States, and. Uh, uh, was at one point uh, the number one ranked amateur in England in uh, in uh, 2009, I believe. But you know, really has had a hard time on the uh, on the European circuit uh, maintaining a card. But now he won't have problems for a while, uh, having having uh, having uh, won the uh, Scandinavian Open again. This is a mixed tournament. Uh, uh, where uh, uh, men and women compete from, from different tees. And let's see if I can get the final results here. So Dale Whitnell, 21 under par, cruises to victory. Sean Crocker, the uh, American born in Zimbabwe, a USC grad, uh, is solo second. And tied for third were Yannick Paul, the, the German, who is in Ryder Cup contention, with uh, French woman Anne Van Damme, or, or excuse me, Dutch woman Anne Van Damme, tied fifth were Richie Ramsey and Paul Waring. In terms of Ryder Cup hopefuls, uh, uh, Alex Noren in this tournament was tied 12th. And not, not a great field, as I think a lot of the uh, higher ranked uh, European golfers are already in the States prepping for the uh, U.S. Open next week. Uh, Robert McIntyre is another guy we talked about consistently. He missed the cut. Uh, so Dale Whitnell uh, wins by three strokes 
And it just goes to show this man was the number one British amateur, played on a Walker Cup team, and in spite of that has struggled, but he finally breaks through. Champions Tour, uh, Steve Stricker is doing to the Champions Tour what Tiger did to the PGA Tour in his heyday. He is just running away seemingly with every tournament. He's won the last two majors, uh, and he wins again this week uh, in his tournament, the American Family Insurance Championship in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, the Wisconsin native shoots 65, 64, 69 for an easy five-shot win over Paul Broadhurst and Stephen Alker. Uh, Joe Durant and Justin Leonard uh, are next uh, with Colin Montgomery uh, tied fourth. Stephen Ames and Marco Dawson tied seventh. And finally this week uh, on the LPGA Tour, again, a bit of a watered-down field because some of the uh, women were... Uh, playing in Scandinavia at the, uh, at the mixed event. But uh, the winner uh, for the fourth time in the last year is Ashley Buhai, the South African. She wins by one over Hyo Ju Kim, uh, uh, Korean, uh, by three over Chinese golfer Yan Liu, and by four over Nana Madsen and Dani Holmquist, uh, a Dane and a Swede, respect, uh, respectively. Uh, for in the American contingent, the highest uh, finisher was Marina Alex, who finishes tied 12th. And uh, for anyone who's, who is interested, I don't think that Rose Zhang uh, was in this tournament. Uh, of the prominent Americans, uh, Stacey Lewis tied 62nd, but I don't see any of the big Solheim Cup names uh, anywhere in contention for the Americans, but uh, there is... Uh, they're starting to uh, uh, we're, they're starting to talk about uh, the composition of the Solheim Cup team, and we will talk about that uh, in the days ahead. We'll talk more about the about the live tour with uh, with Bill and John and, and get their their feelings. I can't say that there has been a, a lot to elucidate what's going to happen in the future. The live people, including Greg Norman, say the live tour is going to run business as usual. The PGA people say that uh, Jay Monahan is going to be able to make the final decision on that. Uh, the CEO is uh, the CEO of this new for-profit entity is going to be the uh, the PIF and the Saudis, but the PGA is going to have the voting majority. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I've seen speculation. I, I've seen people saying that the live one, I've seen people saying that the PGA Tour one. Here's my, uh, here's my feeling. My feeling is that the PGA Tour was winning, but uh, the cost of winning was going to be prohibitive for them. The Saudis had unlimited pocketbooks. The Saudis would continue to hold things in litigation, uh, co uh, costing tens of millions of dollars that they had, but the PGA Tour was already going into their coffers. The PGA Tour had had to raise uh, their purses and schedule these elevated events and the special events, uh, team events featuring Rory and Tiger. Again, uh, without clear-cut increases in the amount of money they were getting from their title sponsors, and in fact, some of the title sponsors had faded away. So I think that even though from a, from a tour point of view, there was such little interest in the live. Nobody was watching their tournaments and unless they were being played in Adelaide or, or, or places that, that, were, that didn't have normal events, the attendance was not great, the buzz was not great, and, uh, but the uh, PGA Tour realized that they didn't have the money to continue to compete. And I think Jay Monahan felt this was the best case scenario. I heard on, on the uh, Capital Golf Gang, uh, uh, podcast, Steve Zabin's golf podcast, that one of the uh, one of his uh, panel members said about Jay Monahan that he's a really good person. And, you know, it's nice to hear because he really, unfortunately, is coming across as, as a hypocrite and, and understands that and, and says that, that it looks like he's a hypocrite. But, you know, I, I think maybe this is more of a being uh, kind of forced into a corner and having to do something or else the tour would have uh, eventually just run out of money. They were already dipping into their coffers to pay these elevated purses. Uh, my thought is that, is that uh, you know, 
Let's look at tennis. Tennis does have a tour, and this is what I would actually like to see. Tennis does have a tour that has seasons where they play in Europe and seasons where they play in America. I would actually like to see the tours combined and have more European events that have all the players. Uh, and, you know, in other words, when the tour is in America, in California, in Florida, in Texas, uh, the, the events that would, that would be maintained in the summer schedule, Jack's event and Arnie's event, uh, that all the best players in the world are typically there, like a tennis tournament. And there might be secondary events in other places during those weeks for people who don't make the field. So it's the same in tennis. There might be Indian Wells and at the same time a tournament in Morocco. Uh, uh, and then have the, the, the tour switch over to Europe or uh, international places when the weather's better in those places. Uh, that, would be my, that would be my thought. We'll have some thoughts on the team concept as well. I think the live team concept is silly and artificial. Uh, I think if you really wanted to have a team concept, you could do it and it would be fun. Uh, and you'd have countries or universities. So you would have a, you know, a South African team with the four best South Africans and, and people could come and go off that team. You could have an English team, an Irish team, a team of Oklahoma State golfers, a team of Arizona State golfers, a team of you know, a SoCal team that Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley would be on. And they could have, they could have events during the so-called silly season, during the, the, the time after the Ryder and President's Cup and before the Tournament of Champions. But just some ideas, uh, whether the Live Tour will, will continue to exist as standalone tournaments uh, is yet to be seen. All right, let's talk about the Ryder Cup standings before uh, we get uh, Bill and John in here. So, so few of the top American players uh, were involved in any of these tournaments this week that there's really no change in the standings. The, uh, uh, there may be some, some changes well down the line, but uh, the top six who are in on, uh, on points, Scotty Scheffler, Brooks Kepka, Max Homa, Xander Schauffele, uh, Patrick Cantley, and Cameron Young remain the same, or actually, uh, Xander Shoffley, Jordan Spieth, and Patrick Cantley remain the same. Cameron Young, Sam Burns, Colin Morikawa, Wyndham Clark, Justin Thomas, and Kurt Kitayama are the next six, with Will Zalatoris, Denny McCarthy, Tony Finau, Harris English, Chris Kirk, Keegan Bradley, Sagith Tagala, Ricky Fowler in 20th uh, down the line. And now it does seem pretty clear that the, L, that the live players are going to be allowed on the U.S. team if they make it on points. I, I don't think there's any doubt now that Brooks Kepka will we'll be on the team unless he slides off. On the European side, uh, they've said that they will not be eligible for the Ryder Cup team, but then there's none of the European live players who would even be close based upon their uh, performance in majors. There are some changes on the European team based upon uh, these latest results. Uh, and on the European, uh, uh, European point side, uh, some major changes. John Rahm and Rory McIlroy remain one and two, but Yannick Paul with a top 10 finish in Scandinavia hops back over uh, Adrian Moronk and uh, Victor Perez into third, with Victor Perez uh, now in fourth. Then when we get the world, uh, the world points, uh, the next four who would be in automatically, uh, no surprise, Victor Hovland, Ty Hatton, Matthew Fitzpatrick, and Tommy Fleetwood. Fleetwood does not move up in spite of his runner-up uh, finish. Uh, Ty Hatton also had a good finish, and, and Matthew Fitzpatrick, a, a top 40, uh, excuse me, a top 20. Uh, the next four are Justin Rose, who moves up a spot. Shane Lowry moves down a spot. Uh, Sepp Straka and Seamus Power. And Adrian Moronk now on the outside looking in, he's actually 13th, followed by uh, Alex Noren, Adrian Otagoy, Thomas Dietry, and Robert McIntyre. Uh, Aaron Rye is up eight spots into 18th position, followed by uh, Pablo Larazapal, Danny Willett, Antoine Rosner, and Rasmus Hoygaard in 22nd. So that's your, that's your up-to-date standings on the European side, and that does include both of the tournaments from this week. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have our special guests, Bill Davinsky and John Tuey, to talk about golf media, the economics 
of this merger between the Live Tour and the PGA Tour and uh, talk a little bit about the U.S. Open coming up and we'll give you our picks uh, when we'll be back uh, shortly on the Ticket to Rider podcast. Well, as promised, I'm back here with John Tuohy and Bill Dubinsky in our reunion of uh, the class of 87 WHRB Harvard Radio. And that was a uh, rounding rendition of Yo-Ho, the Good Ship Harvard, which is what... Now, John, did you use the same... Did you use Yo-Ho to bring in uh, Harvard football games as well? I, we did that for hockey. Did you use... I believe... I believe we did, yeah, yeah. It was a, uh, it was a well-worn uh, rendition, but yeah, we uh, used that as well. You know, I, I was this many years old when I realized that Yoho the Good Ship Harvard that the words it goes Yoho the Good Ship Harvard sails goldward bound again is how it starts, and so I just assumed it was a football song, but as I was preparing for having you guys on, I realized that it's actually a rowing song. And so why we were using a, a rowing song as the intro for Harvard football and Harvard hockey and probably Harvard basketball as well, I'm not really sure. But I think that predated the three of us. Yeah, I think so. It, the the uh, Latin version of 10,000 Men of Harvard is also a difficult one to find in the for. Illegitimum non carborundum ipso facto. So thanks closing line there. Well, uh John, uh, I, I said I, in the opening segment, I talked about how we were we, we were all three uh, kind of colleagues on Harvard Radio. And Bill, I think you can you can uh, uh, confirm you and I joined Harvard Radio kind of we, we kind of planned things. You and I both were, were trying out. I tried out for, for Harvard tennis and you tried out for Harvard golf. And I think we both knew that that we weren't going to make it past the tryouts. Uh, and we kind of decided early on that once we got cut, uh, we wanted to do do something to stay in in kind of athletics, and so we decided to join the radio. John, what what made you decide to join Harvard Radio? Because you've really you've kind of made a career of this, and you're and you're still, I think, on the on the on the is it the board of directors or the board of o overseers for the radio station? The board of trustees, yeah, trustees. yeah. You know, you know, for me, it was my roommate Rich Saber who had gone and and done the news uh, uh, the news department at WHRB he was having a fun time and and. You know, for me, I originally came in thinking, oh, you know, I acted in high school. I'll just do drama, not knowing that, you know, there were like, you know, people doing summer stock in our class and, you know, versus me doing, uh, you know, a, a, a crappy public high school play in central Massachusetts. So after the third time they asked me if, how my carpentry skills were for building sets, I decided maybe it was time to find a new extracurricular, um, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, I went, I went from, uh, uh, you know, bad, bad auditions to, uh, you know, having an opportunity to be part of, uh, a really fun, uh, team that we had really for, you know, for my part of it was three years and, you know, did, uh, as you mentioned, football as well as, uh, as well as hockey, which was fantastic. Well, we had a, we had a great team and, and Harvard radio. I mean, when we were there, there, uh, uh, Scott Horsley, uh, who's been on NPR really ever since, it was on Harvard Radio. Bill Oakley, one of the one of the uh, producers of the of the glory years of The Simpsons, was on Harvard Radio. Who who else? Who else would people know where where our well, we had uh, Alex Ross, not so much for being on the air, but Alex is a big you know classical music critic for uh, New Yorker, I think. Um, and you know, we do have somebody who might wind up on the moon. You do know that, right? <laughs> Stephanie Wilson, who was in our classical music department, is an astronaut who's flown on the space shuttle three times. So, uh, and is currently tapped to be heading to the moon as part of the Artemis program. 
So I think she, I think she eventually is going to be a lot more famous than, uh, uh, Scott, Scott forgive Horsley. me, my friend, Scott Horsley. <laughs> <laughs> Your friend, Scott Horsley. He's a good, I, I, I keep up with Scott. I absolutely, I absolutely, I went down and visited him at NPR. Absolutely. Uh, Scott's a wonderful guy. All right. Well, yeah. um, I was just watching, I, I don't know what you guys are doing right now. I was just watching the Miami Denver basketball game. Miami's actually ahead towards the end of the second quarter. And it, you know, the, the fans in Denver were chanting the ref you suck uh, uh, chant, which <laughs> I, is, is there a less imaginative uh, crowd chant in all of sports than ref you suck? <laughs> uh, not really. Maybe on the not live, really. You think, there's think... Some, you think there's something on the live tour? Do you think maybe they, they, they chant out something along the lines of ref you suck on the live tour? Maybe at Patrick Reed. Maybe Patrick Reed gets a, you know, you know, uh, ref you suck kind of kind of chant on the live tour who knows all, all he has to do is make a facial expression and it's the same <laughs> it conveys the same thought he doesn't actually have to vocalize it so before we so. Before, before we get into this uh, into any kind of golf stuff and and uh i brought john and bill to talk about uh current state of golf from the media and the business side i have to say it is a rare time that i can lord over you that my baseball teams are actually doing better than your baseball teams. What, Bill, what is happening with the Cardinals? When was the last time the Cardinals were in last place this long into a season, this far into a season? Um, yeah, it, it's been, it's been the seventies as far as I, I can, I can remember. And, um, there, there is, there's something, there's something that's, uh, you know, besides injuries that's, that's going on and, and hopefully they'll, They'll figure it out because they do have a lot of offensive power, firepower. But yeah, the Cubs and the Cardinals are looking pretty bad this year, and the and the Reds. And the, the Red Sox are five hundred, but the American League East is so good that five hundred is last place by three and a half games, which is pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, I mean, for for a team that has had you know Chris Sale have every injury except for you know being decapitated by uh, uh, a flying uh, steel plate. Uh, they're hanging in there, but I mean, literally they are the definition of mediocre. They're they're I think 33 and 33 and they have scored and given up exactly the same number of runs. So he's not had thoracic outlet syndrome yet. That's, that's the, key. no, no. Well, he's got a shoulder now. So you have to see, I mean, you know, it's some kind of what, scapula thing. I mean, who knows? You know, Chris Sale. I defer, I defer to the MD. I defer to the MD on this one. Chris Sale um, and Steven Strasburg are the most fragile pitchers. You can't touch them. They can't, you know, throw a ball without being <laughs> out for a year. And Steven Strasburg hasn't has pitched. I think something like eight games since he signed his seven-year contract, and he's midway through it. So, yeah. Uh, at least Chris yeah, Sale. Gave, at least Chris Sale gave you guys a couple good starts this year. Before he got, you know, there. the Mets. The Mets could theoretically suit up Bobby Bonilla since they are paying him. Um, and he could actually play. So, you know, maybe they're getting a little bit better deal than the, uh, than the Nats are with, with Strasburg. But. All right. So whenever I talk to John, he's always talking to me, and I'm very jealous because he goes to Red Sox fantasy camp. on an Is it an annual, annual now, John? Uh, oh, I wish. No, it's, uh, I've gone three times now um, and widely, widely spaced. Uh, uh, I went in 2005, uh, you know, right after the Sox won the World Series. I actually booked before they won, so that was a very pleasant surprise. I have a, a jersey with a, you know, World Series 2004 champs uh, on it. Uh, and then I went again in 2016 and then again this, this past January. So, uh, so pining, pining to make it an every year thing, but, uh, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm still married, so I can't really pull it off. <laughs> so, so, so que question for both of you guys if you could go to any fantasy camp you wanted any any sport what player would you most want to you know participate with at fantasy camp and john you can say which which is your who's your favorite player that you have had a chance to meet and and play with or against and then and then who would you who would be your your ultimate fantasy camp well, i had a, this year i had a really good time keith folk was one of my coaches and and he and i hit it off you know, pretty well. And, and, uh, uh, we had some, we had some fun and we've actually exchanged a few texts since now. Um, so, uh, I really enjoyed camping with, with Keith. Um, 
and, and I mean, like Louis Tian is at camp, and I've had, I've had some fun with with Louis. I haven't had him as a coach, but just you know, goofing around. Uh, in terms of somebody like you know, like a, a, a dream, it would be like really fun to have. I mean, I had a brief encounter in my first camp with Carl Yastrzemski, who came in as sort of a special guest. Seemed like a great guy. Would be you know, he's he's kind of a little aged for that now, but Frank Melzone did it for years and years. It'd be fun if he did it. Um, you know, or, or Pedro, of course, would be, I'm sure, phenomenal. Um, but, uh, yeah, folk, folk was the best one for me, for sure. How about, how about you, Bill? Well, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's obviously not going to happen now, but, uh, but it would have, would have definitely been Bob Gibson. Um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that even at age, uh, 60, if he had gone something like that, he would have not thrown it the uh, at the fantasy campers, but it would have would have been fun. Um, and and then uh, you know possibly on on the hockey side, it's sort of a tough choice, but it would have been between Brett Hall and Stan Mikita. Okay, how did you pick for the Plaguers? I you, you can't pick <laughs> both of them. <laughs> yeah, both of them. Well, there were three brothers, but but. But both Park and, and and Bob. And I think I pick if I would ha- if I had a choice to play with anybody at a, at a fantasy type camp, I think it would be John McEnroe. John McEnroe was always my favorite. I would love to hit tennis balls with John McEnroe. I think that because other sports like you know I could pick you know a, a Redskins guy who I loved, but I can't play football. I couldn't be on the same field with those guys. Same thing with in basketball or baseball, but tennis I could actually you know, hit balls with John McEnroe and not feel like I was, I was totally incompetent. That would be the guy. You know, golf is, is, is a little bit like this too, because you can play in a pro-am. Um, and, and, and that experience, obviously, obviously you're not playing at the level of the pros, but you are playing with them. And it's, that, that is a little unique. Um, the fantasy camps are, are 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 uh, you know going on to some teams and in, in, in spring and stuff, but but the programs go on year round and and on all the major tours. Well, here's 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 a question for for Bill. So I looked today because I didn't know the answer to it. Uh, we we recently had you know Harvard is is famous for a lot of people, and we recently of course had the death of the Unabomber, one of our one of our proud. Uh, Proud uh, alumni of Harvard, Ted Kaczynski, recently passed away in prison. But who, I, I looked this up, and do, Bill, do you know the answer to this? Who is the most accomplished golfer, uh, professional golfer, or, or have a golf career out, out of all, uh, everybody who went to Harvard in the history of the university? Well, uh, most, most um, well, for, first of all, Bobby Jones did have a Harvard connection, but um, if, if, you exclude, if you exclude him, um, which is, is uh, not not someone uh, minor. Uh, it's it's Scott McNeely, who's Maverick McNeely's dad. So so I I look back and there was a guy named Chandler Egan at the turn of the century who won a silver medal okay. at the Olympics and was a I think like a, a Walker Cup participant. And oh, okay. And then early when he retired, he retired of all places to Medford, Oregon, and started building golf courses and then died of pneumonia when he was 36. But there's a list of like the top 2,000 golfers of all time, and he's actually in the top 300. He must have been fantastic uh, in, the, in, the, in, the teen, in the, well, in the 20s and 30s before he died. So that was, that was who uh, somebody said was the greatest Harvard golfer in history. But yeah, Maverick McNeely's father is what? He, he's the CEO of- I mean, he was not all American or anything. He was just a varsity golfer, but- Obviously, his, his career after that was um, you know, was pretty impressive, and, and that's that's why I, I thought of thought of him. Um, but uh, but you know, I, I don't know. I should know this, but I did. Did Bobby Jones get a graduate degree or spend a year? I mean, he definitely has a Harvard connection. He's not just not just tech. Well, really? I'm gonna look it up. I, I I wasn't aware of that. So before meanwhile, before meanwhile, there's a current Harvard golfer who Brian Ma, who just earned an honorable mention All American, and he's got the lowest scoring average in Harvard history. So maybe maybe the answer is we don't know yet. Let's see. Coming soon to coming soon to a course near you. Uh, he has Bobby Jones had a got went to Georgia Tech, 
got a degree in engineering, and then went to Harvard and got a second bachelor's degree in English literature. So, so you you were right. I think I think Bobby Jones. I think that counts. Yeah, I think that counts. He got a degree. That counts. Yeah. Bobby Jones. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Trump's Chandler Egan. Okay. So, uh, all right. So, guys, we're gonna, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you questions about you know some of this uh, PGA and live and live stuff in a second. But before I do that, did you guys see the video of what happened to Adam Hadwin? I've already talked about uh, the. Uh, the Canadian, the Canadian Open, and the great victory by Nick Taylor, first Canadian to win the Canadian Open since 1954. But did you guys see the video of Adam Hadwin trying to celebrate with champagne after the match and getting tackled by security? I did. I mean, that was that was impressive. I think uh, the security guards headed for you know a, a CFL tryout at some point soon. <laughs> this was a that was, that was that was crazy. I I I, I you know you. At least they didn't tackle one of uh, you know one of the, one of the more uh, let's say less less stout guys out of out of because I think all of the top Canadian pros, including Mike Weir, were, were still around watching. Well, Mike Weir was the one they could have they could have killed Mike Weir. Mike Weir is like five <laughs> seven hundred and thirty pounds. Uh, but uh, between that and Conor McGregor putting the Nuggets mascot in the hospital, it's been a hard week to be a, to be a, a spectator around professional sports this week. Um, okay, so obviously the big news of the week was the nobody knows really what to call it, right? Is it is it a partnership? Is it a merger? Uh, is it just an agreement to end hostilities between the PGA Tour and the Live Tour? And, you know, before I get specifically into that, you know, John, I, I, you were going to fantasy camp. I was going to have you on earlier in the year uh, as, as our media expert to talk about the, the Live Tours contract with the CW, whereas the Live Tour got the rights to broadcast their, 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 their matches on the CW network, but wasn't getting paid for it. Essentially, it was... Uh, an agreement that I, I would guess they would get some 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 of the advertising revenue, or just for exposure. How how common right. how common is that? That's fairly common, especially with new leagues. I mean, you'll see situations. For example, um, you know the the you know upstart football leagues. Largely, if they have a rights deal, it's usually in a revenue sharing uh, situation. Um, you know, uh, uh, there are examples in re in radio where somebody just wants the games covered, and sometimes the you know the colleges will actually pay the radio stations to air the games. Um, you know, and and the, the caveat is if they sell advertising, the university keeps the revenue, or there's a, a you know a much different kind of revenue sharing economics. But yeah, if there's if there's no established audience and there's um, you know, no, no ratings to draw upon that sort of thing is, is fairly common for, uh, you know, a new league or, 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 uh, you know, um, it's something that's, you know, new to the market, you know, it, it wouldn't be the same if it were an, you know, an expansion team for an existing league. I don't think the, uh, Houston Texans had to worry about that sort of thing. Obviously they were part of a league deal, but even, you know, an expansion NHL team or whatever is going to have, be able to, to, to pull some local rights, but when you're looking at this, where there's not the local connection, it's 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 pretty tenuous, and and broadcasters are going to try and mitigate their risk as much as they can. You guys, do you guys, both of you, do you think that that for golf? I mean, golf is really a niche broadcast, right? You know, uh, both on the radio and on TV. Do you do you think individual players move the needle, or do you think it's the events? more that move the needle and let's talk outside of tiger because we know tiger moves the needle we know that when tiger is competing the the audience uh uh watching events goes up by about 50 percent. that's that's pretty well established but other than tiger are there any individual players these days who really move the needles or is it more you know people are going to watch the majors and people are going to watch the tpc or the Ryder cup um I would say, in, in, at least in my experience, it's the events. I'll, I'll say that there are some notable exceptions for certain unique cases. You know, Tom Watson making a run late in, you know, after his career, essentially as a what, 59-year-old in the British Open. 
you betcha that that drew some 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 viewers to the to the British Open, even you know those who might not have have looked otherwise. But I think generally, you know, you're going to see the four majors, the TPC, you know, a few of the other tournaments that, or or some of the match play stuff that maybe has a different look to it. Um, but you know, I think for I think the the event more so than the players is is the draw these days. And and the events take time. To, to develop into something, they can't. They can't get there, you you know, typically in in, in one in one year. I mean, you, you can even look at the players, and it, it, it wasn't the the players or, or or the PGA for that matter. Like the PGA at the beginning of of the um, stroke play era, it was it was definitely not at the same level. Uh, not that it is now of the other majors but it, it it evolved over time and same thing with with the players so um you you could see i mean even with the live tour and you can criticize lots of things about it but it seems like the event in adelaide was the one event that drew, drew a pretty big response because you had an area that was starved and you know no one was going to watch it on tv in the u.s but they they drew a big crap you- and, and i'll say Bill, the, the one thing that might be a little bit different are some of the made for TV events, right? The, the, you know, the match, right. You know, you have Tiger and Phil go up with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Right. And it's kind of a interesting and it's a freak show and it's, it, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a gab mm-hmm. fest and it's behind the scenes. And so it, it, it's, it's a novelty, but it doesn't, you know, the, the, the competition is, is different. And, um, I think it's the, the heart, the true golf fan is looking for the events. Have either of you guys watched any of the live events on TV or is it just, Hey, it's on the CW. I can't find it. I'm not interested. Yeah, I don't have any tinfoil to put into my TV to get the, the CW here in Connecticut. So, um, you know, no, I haven't. I, the, the, the live tour, I'm like, it's, it's such a, I think Bill, you said it. There's got to be some level of established what's going on here, and it's sort of like, what are the rules? They're starting where? Like, how does this go? I, like, no thanks. Well, I, I, I do have access, and the, the you know, I, I can't call the particulars, but there've been a couple playoffs, and um, so I, I, you know, to see a, a, a non-existent golf course. And day two or day one, that's not interesting. But if it's a good golf course and, you know, and you've got interesting leaders, then, um, you know, then I think it's, I've, I've seen a little bit of that. Um, the, the, the team thing, though, I think that gets to the, the, the it's got to grow on you. And, and so if out of the merger, the, the other tours or whatever, results from from the merger if it goes through you know maybe there is room for a team element beyond the rider cup and, and and so forth a different type of format but it's going to take a while to, to, to figure it out I, I i agree with you i think a really you know maybe a fun team format would be kind of kind of like the rider cup but countries you know where you'd have a british team and a south african team and an australian team and a far east team and a South American team and, and within the States, you know, a Texas team and a SEC redneck team and a, and a Southern California team a Northern California. I think that might be interesting. Uh, but just kind of the random way they have it now, does, you know, has never had any interest. I, I went to a live event. They had one in Portland. And as a spectator, it was great. I mean, I was, you know, and, and remained kind of anti-live because of the Saudi thing. But as a spectator, it was a great event. It didn't take as long as a normal golf tournament. There weren't as many people there, so I, you know, I easily got to the front row, and it was kind of fun. Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't think they're going to keep the format. John, uh, when when you talk about golf, I mean the ratings for golf are never going to be the ratings, you know, for 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 football and and basketball. Maybe they are the ratings for baseball. Baseball uh, national ratings are not great, but. How much does it matter the demographics of who watches golf? How important is that that it's you know that it's rich men who watch golf as opposed to you know I don't know you know teenagers and 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 well I, I'm sure there are a lot of old people who watch golf. How how important is that in determining uh, advertising and 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 revenue from from golf broadcast? 
You know, it, it, it's important to a degree, right? It, it, it kind of helps determine who is, or which types of companies are going to advertise. You know, you, you, you don't see a lot of um, Coca-Cola ads on golf, right? Because that's it's not a mass thing, but you do see, you know, you do see luxury brands. You do see financial services companies. One of the few places that they haven't cut back I mean, is is on is in in golf, um, you know, and you'll see the, the people who are who are targeting those affluent, you know, largely male customers. Um, and the fact of the matter is, in many of them are golf nuts, right? And and so there are you know there are always manufacturers who want to get in the game, um, you know, golf, you know, whether it's golf balls or equipment or you know. Whatever it is, I think there's there's always going to be a market for that audience. Um, you know, as long as and as but but you know, the question is, at some point, you reach a point where you know this has been the issue all around sports, right? You see, all the the, the Diamond Sports Group is busily you know going bankrupt and defaulting on all of its rights deals and and using that as an opportunity to attempt to renegotiate because they made you know, assumptions that the world will never change. And, and the fact of the matter is that people are not always going to, you know, you, it, it's not an inexorable increase in rates and, you know, and, and as people are switching from cable TV to, you know, the, the Hulu's with live TV and YouTube TVs of the world, you don't always have the critical mass that you need to be able to, um, to be able to make your money back. And you know you start losing the, the the subscription revenues. You need to make it up on advertising, and you have little to no margin if you overpay for rights. Um, and I think that's you know one of the things that's been a hallmark of the PGA for years and years and years is that they're a very good partner to the networks. They you know work hard to accommodate the networks. They, they make an effort to um, make the players available. They, uh, uh, they, they're, they're, they're planning jointly, you know, and, and, you know, the, what's the old uh, holiday in uh, slogan, the best surprise is no surprise. Mm-hmm. Do you think the net, do you think the networks were cut in on what, what just happened? Do you, do you think that that would make them rethink their relationship with the PGA tour to say, I just paid you, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for golf rights. And now you're telling me that things are going to be changing. You wouldn't want to consult your multi hundred million dollar partner before you do something like this. There's a big difference. I used to work at CBS. Masters has been on CBS since 1956. And they don't charge CBS a whole lot of money. But in return, CBS, as you know, is extremely limited commercial interruptions, right? And n- not entirely true editorial independence. Pretty, mu- pretty much so. But if you're Gary McCord, you're not coming back, right? Yeah, um, Gary McCord and Faraday were not uh, necessarily welcome. Yeah, no, exactly. So, but when the controversy came about membership at Augusta and people yanked ads, you know, CBS was on the hook to lose, you know, although the Masters isn't ridiculously expensive, they were on the hook to lose all their money. And the Masters said, you're, you've been our partner for 50 plus years. We'll make it right. right. And they worked together with CBS to make it right now. And then, then they, and then they made it right with the membership, most importantly. Right. But, but there is a trust there that comes with working together for many, many years that, that pays off and has been tested and both parties have done the things they need to do to maintain that trust. The PGA tour, I think has started to impair that trust by making these, these sort of, you know, back channel moves with the investment banking community and, you know, the need for secrecy. And it's like, you you didn't even deal in your partners. Like that's rough. And a lot of the money that makes, you know, that, that oils the machines here, your pardon, the Saudi pun, the oil, like 
What are they saying? Are they saying they don't need that money anymore? Because now they got a bankroll? Like, that would be really bad for the game. If, if, if you wanted to make the game more accessible to everybody. Right, right. And this did appear to, to take everybody by surprise. Now, uh, guys, there was, there was an article that came out today that said from Politico that said that Jay Monahan had actually appealed to uh, the Congress to back the PGA Tour against the Live Tour, and he got no response. He got, I guess they had, you know, he went to a Republican congressman who was very anti-Saudi uh, from Texas, who, who said he would help uh, Congressman Roy, but nothing came of it. And now there's a report that uh, Richard Blumenthal, uh, your senator from Connecticut, uh, chair of the Homeland Security Investigative Subcommittee, has demanded a host of records related to the proposed merger. Uh, and he uh, apparently uh, sent something to Jay Monahan, the head of the PGA, saying, while few details about the agreement are known, the uh, uh, PIF, the investment fund of the Saudis, role as an arm of the Saudi government and the PGA Tour's sudden and drastic reversal of position concerning Live Golf raised serious questions regarding the reasons for and the terms behind the announced agreement. And part of the kind of problem here is that the PGA Tour has always run as a, as a not-for-profit entity with tax-exempt status. And this new entity is going to be a for-profit entity. Uh, and uh, so, Bill, you're, you're our legal expert. Why don't you talk a little bit about, about, tax, about how the tax-exempt status works and and how that's put at risk yeah i i think there's so few details of what exactly they have in mind um it's it's tough to really understand what would happen to the you know to the tax exempt status because it's if you have a university for example and the university is engaged in in um non-profit tax exempt behavior that's totally fine if they if they have a portion of their their business that's that's engaged in in for profit activity. That sometimes that's that's treated separately in that tax. So it, it could be that they they have what's essentially a marketing rights agreement without interfering with the underlying businesses. And who knows how that would be treated, both for antitrust or for tax. But that. I, from what I my understanding is that the antitrust concerns are, you know, are very are independent of any politics are, are are very significant, which puts the PGA in even a tougher spot because they what they were doing before and part of why I think they 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 were in a tough spot is that they had to defend their behavior is not their. Ex- their prior behavior is not being an antitrust violation against uh, a deep, a deep-pocketed opponent. And now, what they've done is they 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 put themselves at peril with the solution. So you know, my reading of this whole thing is that uh, is that the the PGA Tour feels like they're in the right, and they feel like they may prevail in court, but they were already kind of behind the eight ball financially because of COVID, had to, had to dip into their reserves to cover expenses during COVID. And now in order to compete with the live tour and the promises of payouts to the players had to, again, I hear, we hear uh, dip into their reserves for these elevated purses and elevated events. And between that and the, uh, and the, lawsuits that probably were going to be promulgated for years and years, they were like, unless we have help from the government, there's no way we're going to win this. Is, 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 there, is that the yeah, and that, except, except there are two separate pieces to it. That, so, so there's the actual dispute they had with, with Liv and with the players that were still in the litigation. But then there was, my understanding is the antitrust division and justice department was investigating their behavior. So, that's the that that that's the part that that um, went went away with you know without them doing anything um, presumably. But then they'll look at this 
this marketing rights agreement, if that's what it actually is, and and they'll apply, um, you know, they'll they'll apply some analysis to that. And Monahan and others, I guess, have, have said, "Well, we're very confident." But then companies, <laughs> companies, when they announce mergers, that's that's the only answer they can give <laughs> of what the actual prospects are. They they can't they can't come out of the gate and say, "Oh, well, we did this, but we don't think it's going to succeed." Right. All right, guys. Well, that's I, you know I've kept you I've kept you guys long enough. So before we finish. Uh, I want to make sure that you guys know that you are you that you guys should definitely be there at Beth Page Black for the 2025 Ryder Cup. Uh, there's nothing like it. Uh, hopefully, the four of us, me, uh, Stacy, uh, and you guys can can uh, bum around Beth Page Black in in two years it's, uh, for for the next Ryder Cup that's going to be on U.S. soil. It'll be a home 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 uh, event for you guys, so that'll be fun. And uh, before we leave, uh, the U.S. Open is this week at the L at the L.A. Country Club. Bill, have you ever played the L.A. Country Club? Absolutely not. But it, it, the the restoration was absolutely spectacular, and and it should be it should be a lot of fun to see them, the pros try and work their way around a course that most of them haven't played before. So we always do on this podcast. Stacy and I always make our picks, and I have Stacy's picks, and we always pick in the interest of the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup, we always pick one American, one European, and one international. So I'm gonna do Stacy's picks first, and then we'll go with you guys, and then I'll give I'll give mine. So Stacy has picked Xander Schauffele, who if you listen to this podcast, he always picks as the, as the American. He picked Tommy Fleetwood, who played so well last week at the Canadian as his European, and he picked Cam Smith uh, coming off the live tour as his, as his international. All right, John, who do you got? Well, this is probably an upset considering he just withdrew from his last tournament with a bad back, but I'm going to go with Morikawa on the American side. Um, I just, you know, the last time, the last time you had a big tournament out West, it was his and that's his, that's his home zone. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of thinking Morikawa there from the, the British side. I'm going to, uh, the Euro side. I'm going to say McElroy. I mean, I, I just I don't know that I have anybody else um, in in mind. I don't think Fitzpatrick has has. I don't think that that's his that's his that's his course. That's his style. Um, as much as I like Lom, I, I I think I like McElroy here a little better. Um, and in terms of somebody out in the rest of the world, uh, you know, um, gosh, I, I you know. I'm going to go, you know, let's go with the hot guy, the guy who rolls in a 72 foot eagle putt, Nick Taylor, uh, to go, uh, to go, you know, steal, uh, you know, if Americans have been winning the Canadian for years and years, let's, 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 you know, turn the tables and, and, and pull it north to the, to the higher latitudes. Okay. Bill, your turn. Yeah. Um, I'm for, for the American, I'm going to go with the course record holder in California boy, Max Homa. Um, for the for the for the European UK, I think I'd go with Ty Hatton, who I don't know that he's ever been in the top five in a major, but maybe this is his time. And I would have picked Cam Smith, so I guess I guess uh, I would go with Minwoo Lee to pick another Australian. All right. Well, I guess. Uh... Bill, you and I, you and I have to think think alike. Uh, so, this course looks like it's a ball strikers course. It looks like the rough is going to be incredibly penal. So, the guys who spray the ball, I don't think are going to have a shot. So, I also picked Max Homa uh, as my as my American. Uh, it is his home course, uh, and and he's a fantastic ball striker. He just needs to drive well. Uh, I picked. Uh, Victor Hovland for uh, my European. And like you, so we both had two H's. So I decided it was kind of, it was kind of my wrestling theme for Triple H, uh, especially I've been thinking about wrestling I, I, from, from our days uh, in college when I would watch the old WWE or whatever it was called and the Iron Sheik who just died. So I wanted to find another H and I was going to pick Adam Hadwin 
except he got beat up last week. So I had to, <laughs> I had to kind of fudge it, and I'll go with Hideki, uh, Hideki Matsuyama, uh, who's also a great ball striker. So uh, we'll see if our picks come through. Anyway, hey, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and uh, our media expert and our business expert uh, filling in for Stacy. And uh, again, I'm going to make sure you guys you guys are there for the Beth Page Black and we'll have everybody an in-person reunion in 2025 for Beth, for Beth Page Black. I'm going to take everybody out with uh, the uh, homage, the sarcastic homage to L.A., uh, Randy Newman's I Love L.A., and we'll talk to everybody after the U.S. Open next week.